Chapter 15 of Small Souls by Louis Couperus. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Van Nagels gave an evening party at the Oude Doolen Hotel, two days subsequently to the signing of the marriage contract between Emily and Van Raven. A dinner for relations and intimate friends of nearly a hundred covers. After that, the young people were to do some theatricals, and after that, there was a dance. Dinner was over, and Adolphine asked Uncle Roivener, Were you at their dinner party two nights ago? What dinner party? The day before yesterday, after the contract. They gave a dinner at their house. About sixty people. Only their smart friends and their court set. We were not asked. Mamma went, but none of the brothers and sisters. I did not even know there was a dinner. We called in the afternoon to congratulate the bride and bridegroom. Well, that evening they gave their grand affair. Tonight is only a small party for us and the ragtag of their acquaintance. The other night Bertha wore a low-neck dress and a train. Tonight she has a high frock. Uncle laughed. Yes, he said. These parties at hotels are always scratch affairs. The dinner was only so-so. Regular hotel food. Hmm, the champagne was good, said Uncle, who had drunk his fill. How badly Van Nagel spoke. Does he speak as badly as that when he introduces his Indian budget? And what a figure Van Raven's mother cuts. She looks like I don't know what. Still, they're smart people. Yes, of course they're smart. Or Bertha would never have seized upon him for her daughter. He's a fast creature, that future nephew of mine. And how Emily hangs on to him. If Lorcher hung on to Dykerhof like that, I should give her a good talking to when we got home. Emily behaves just like a street girl. Uncle was in a good humour because he had had plenty to drink. He was puffing a bit and would have liked to undo a button of his waistcoat. That dress waistcoat of his was getting rather tight for him. How pretty Florcher is looking, Adolphine. That white suits her. She laughed happily. She felt flattered. Yes, doesn't it? It makes Emily look so pale. Mama Van Loer passed on Otto Van Nachel's arm. Is Francis better, my boy? Yes, Granny. She's pretty well today, but she gets tired so soon. He was tall and thin with a scowl above his hard Van Loer eyes. His grandfather's eyes. His two years in Java had made him so bitter that it was painful for his grandmother and his parents to listen to him. What a pity, Otto, that you had to leave India. Oh, bah, Granny, what a country. It's all very well for you to talk. You know India as the wife of a resident and as the wife of the Governor-General. But for young people, starting life. Papa would have helped you, you know. A lot of help Papa could have given. A beastly country. A dirty, wretched country. But Otto, I thought it delightful. No doubt in your palace at Boutensor. That goes without saying. But were you ever clerk to the magistrates at Rancas Betong? No. No, of course not. And that with a wife who topples over like a ninepin twice a week with the heat, flat on the floor. Otto. Oh, come, Grandmamma. It's the most confounded, beastly, filthy country I ever was in. 
"'We had much better sell those colonists to England. "'She'll only take them from us one day if we don't. "'Otto, really, I'm not used to this language. "'Oh, yes, Granny, I know all that official bombast about India, "'but we can't all be Governor-General or Colonial Minister. "'If I ever become that, I shall begin to worship India at once. "'You are upset because Francis is ill. "'Ill? Ill?' It takes a woman to be ill. She's not even that. She's a reed. If you blow upon her, she breaks. She was a delicate little thing as a girl, Otto. Well, but look here, Granny. I can't turn her into a robust little thing, can I? For shame, Otto. Don't be so bitter. You've got two darling little children. Yes, children. I wish I hadn't. I'm sorry for the poor little devils. Is the show beginning now? Tableau vivant, arranged by dear old Louise. A play without words by France and Henri. Stale things, these wedding parties, always. I thought I was insufferable. My dear Otto, you're in an intolerable humour. I'm always like that now, Granny. Then I strongly advise you to exercise a little self-control, or you will never have any happiness in life. "'in your own, or your wife's, or your family's. "'The family doesn't affect my happiness. "'What do you mean, Otto? "'Why, I don't live and move and have my being in my family, Granny. "'Oh, really, my boy, you're too horrid. "'Take me back to my seat. "'I see your mother beckoning to me. "'She wants me to sit between her and Aunt Reuvener. "'The performance is beginning.' "'Yes!' Cateau was whining to Fansatsuma, Fandervelka, and Carol. An evening party of sixty people, and the Russian minister was there, and the mistress of the robes. Well, after all, if they have so many acquaintances, said Carol under his breath, by way of excuse. Yes, but Carol, none of the family. Fandervelka, were you invited by chance? No. Oh, not you either. Well, I should have thought that she would have asked Constance. Why? asked Vandervelke coldly. Well, because she used to go to courts in the old days. And you too, didn't you, Vandervelke? Yes, I too, said Vandervelke dryly. Vandervelke, said Carol, did you get that card of mine? What card? Why? When you were expected in town, I called and left a card on you. So did I, you know, Vandervelke, interrupted Fansatsuma. Oh, yes, said Vandervelke. It was very civil of you fellows. Well, I'll leave a card on you one of these days. Oh, I didn't mention it for that, said Vansatsuma. I didn't mention it on that account, echoed Carol, swelling with geniality. Only I should have thought it a bore if it had been mislaid. "'Yes,' whimpered Cato, "'because then it would have looked as if we weren't friendly. "'How red the bride looks, Satsuma! "'That white makes Emily look so very red.' "'Yellow, rather,' said Van Satsuma. "'Yes,' droned Cato. "'Now your flaucher, Satsuma, looks so sweet in white, "'that what a nice fellow Dykehove is, such a thorough man.' "'But how pale Bertha looks!' "'Green, rather,' 
said van der Velke very seriously. Cato looked up with her owl's eyes. Green, she repeated cautiously. Do you really think Bertha looks green, van der Velke? Yes, she is tired, no doubt. Tomorrow, thought van der Velke, all the Hague will know that I thought Bertha looked green. A tableau was discovered in the distance. The idea was Paul's, and he explained it to Constance. You see, it represents luxury. The great wheel crushing down upon Maricha and Carolincha is industry, and Florcha is luxury, standing in a dancing attitude on industry, and scattering gold and ropes of pearls at tuppence a rope. It's not quite clear, perhaps, luxury standing upon industry and crushing Marianne and Carolincha. Florcha is fidgeting and giggling. Oh, I must tell you, Adolphine was delighted when she heard that Florcha, her Florcha, was to be luxury, and to crush Bertha's Marianne. Constance, surrounded by all her family, was in a gentle, happy mood. Oh, Paul, it's a very nice motherly feeling on Adolphine's part to like to see her child happy before another. Paul spluttered with laughter. So you think that Florcher is happy as luxury on the top of Marianne, and that Marianne suffers badly underneath? Connie, how sentimental you are tonight, and what silly things you say. But you're looking very nice. Come, let's go and sit down here. Your hair is turning grey, but I have an idea that you leave it untouched for some coquettish reason, because it goes so well with your young features. It's a very pretty shade of grey. It's not old hair. But you're young still, you know, and you're looking nice, very nice. I believe you're making fun of me. I love good-looking people, and one sees so few of them. Just glance round the room, all ugly people. One walks crooked, another has a stoop. This one's bust sticks out for miles. That one has a fat stomach. I can't stand parts of the body that's bulge. It makes me sick to look at them. Yes, to be accurate, nearly everybody's ugly. Do you know, if you were to take all the heroines out of all the novels in the world, you'd just get one heap of pretty women. No novelist ever dares to take an ugly, squinting, crooked or hump-backed heroine. If I were a rich man, I'd offer a prize for a hideous heroine. Yes, look at Aunt Lot and he imitated Mrs. Rivener's Indian accent, glittering with diamonds, and her two hands patting her brown satin stomach, another stomach, and I can't stand stomachs. But good-natured all the same is auntie. Look at uncle, he's unbuttoned his waistcoat, the rude fellow. Have you noticed my waistcoat, Connie? It's white drill, it's very smart. I say, Connie, look at mamma, what a grand old woman, the way she walks, laughs and talks. Now that's something like. You see at once that she's a great lady. Look at old Mrs. Friesa Stein beside her. Common, noisy, spiteful, a figure like a charwoman's. Hideous, hideous. Look at Ernst, Connie. Would you ever believe that he was a brother of mine? Just like an old Jew. And what a dress coat, what a dress coat. Where on earth did the beggar get it cut? He spends all his money on jugs and vases. Look at Gerrit, Connie. He's pretending to be gay again. The jolly hussar. 
with a broad chest all over lace frogs. Poor fellow! He's dying of melancholy. You don't believe me. It's true, I assure you. Look at Adolphine, Connie, just like a bird talking slander. Pip, pip, pip. How Bertha's ears must tingle. Great heavens! Those eyes of Bertha's, always blinking. She ought to have something done to them. Look at Doreen, Connie. She always looks repulsive. As a matter of fact, Connie, there are only two good-looking people in the room, Mamma and yourself. And you, Paul? Your husband has a good figure, too. He has an attractive back. I have an eye for nice backs. I don't like my own back, and yet my coat sits well, doesn't it? A dress coat is a very tricky thing. Nowadays there is hardly a tailor who can cut a good dress coat. Yes, my waistcoat is very smart. Just look at it. The buttons are smart, aren't they? They are uncut sapphires. Yes, you have a smart little brother. Come, take my arm and let's walk round the room. Have you heard? They're all furious, the Reuveners, the Satsumas, Carol and Cateau, because they were not asked to the first party. The idea was to give it before the signing of the contract, but Otto's arrival came and upset it. He's another failure, that Otto, with his little tissue-paper wife. Look at those Van Ravens, Connie. They're hanging on for all they're worth to Van Nagel and Bertha, lest they should be degraded at being seen with the Satsumas. Tell me, Connie, are you glad to be back? Are you really fond of all these relations? I don't believe I have that family affection which you and Mamma have, and Bertha and Doreen. Bertha has it in her own house. Doreen and Mamma go scattering kindnesses broadcast over all the children and grandchildren. I say, Connie, this is what people call enjoying themselves, because two of them are going to get married. But look all around. There's not a soul really enjoying himself. And that's what Van Nagel and Bertha spend a couple of thousand guilders on, giving them some dinner and a dance and letting them gaze at my luxury, with Florcher dancing on top of Marianne. Look at those faces. No one is naturally cheerful. Nature, nature, Connie. There's no such thing as nature among people like ourselves. We have not a gesture, not a word, not even a thought that is natural. It is all pose and humbug with every one of us, and nobody is taken in by it. Really, it's a disgusting business, a society like ours, what one calls good society. Can't you understand an anarchist loving to fling a bomb into the midst of us? For instance, at Uncle Reuven's stomach. No anarchist likes a stomach. The stomach is the trademark of the bourgeois. Now they're going to dance. Look how hideously they're spinning round the room, just like palsied sparrows. We human beings are much too solemn and heavy to dance with any grace. Look, it's almost ghastly. Through all that pretense at elegance and smartness and dancing and gaiety, you can see that one has a stomach ache and another a headache, that Van Nagel is thinking of how they went for him in the chamber yesterday, and Adolphine, wondering how she shall make her wedding parties seem only half as grand as Bertha's. She let him talk, and he never ended. He could go on prattling for ever. His mother, sisters and nieces often told him to stop, moved away and left him in the midst of his outpourings. 
but Constance liked him, saw indeed a good deal of truth in what he said, in spite of all his humbug. He saw through the people around him with an insight which surprised her, and which he was startled to find was not wholly inaccurate. It was certainly true that these people were not simply natural and merry. They had come there from politeness to Bertha and Van Nagel, but in reality, one was tired, the other envious. Auntie, said Emily, who was walking round the room on Van Raven's arm, if Paul once gets hold of you, he'll never let you go. She called her youngest uncle by his Christian name. She was really a pretty girl, though Paul did not see any good-looking people there, and, by the side of her, her future husband was such a pale, insignificant person that people wondered why she had accepted him. She was rather thin, but there was something dainty, uncommon and original about her in her cloudy white frock. She had a pair of charming eyes of a strangely twinkling gold-grey, like an unknown jewel. Her hair was reddish with a glint of gold in it, and there were a few tiny freckles on the clear white complexion which often goes with that hair. She had a pretty laugh, a soft voice, a coaxing way of being nice and saying pleasant things, and, above all, she possessed an innate distinction, and, as she passed, white and gleaming, she had something, one would almost have said, of a very beautiful alabaster ornament, or of a snowy azalea in the sunlight, a luminous fairness, dainty and transparently veined with palest blue. Constance knew that Emily had a talent, something more than the usual girlish accomplishment, for painting, but that in her busy life as a young society girl she had never had the opportunity to develop it, and Constance wondered at Van Raven, pale, thin, stuttering, stammering, spruce and yet awkward, with one shoulder higher than the other, and his three hairs of a moustache twisted up towards his eyes. He was at the foreign office, and he belonged to a family whose rigid Dutch orthodoxy was shocked by much in the Van Loers, in the Van Nagels, and especially in the Indian elements of the Roiveners. Nevertheless, in view of the general reputation for wealth enjoyed by the colonial secretary, they had considered his daughter a suitable match for their son. Van Nagel and Bertha were making her a handsome allowance. When Emily and Van Raven passed on, exchanging civilities with the guests, Constance expressed her surprise to Paul. Can she really be fond of him? She? Not a bit of it. Then why is she marrying him, you ask? That's just the mystery. Van Nagel and Bertha are not husband hunters, like Adolphine. Louise has had three proposals and refused them all. And why Emilicia, that delicate, white little thing, who really has something nice about her, something artistic, something dainty, something exquisite, and, I should say, almost something natural. Why she accepted that weedy ass who puts on German ways on the strength of a fortnight in Berlin, with his moustache twisted a la Kaiser and his stiff military bows, I really cannot tell you. Bertha, who was very glad when Otto got married, cried when Emilicia accepted this chap. The fellow's as stupid as my foot. Those are neat socks of mine, aren't they? Yes, Connie, why do some people get married? Adolphine and Satsuma, why? I ask you, in heaven's name, why? 
Otto and Francis, why? She felt that he had it on his lips to say, And you and van der Velke, why? But he did not, and he ran on. Marriage is a terrible thing, I think, to pick out one among hundreds and say, I'll marry you, I'll live with you, I'll sleep with you, I'll eat with you, I'll have children by you, I'll grow old with you, I'll die with you. Are you willing? Great God, Connie, how is it possible that people ever get married? It's a toss-up always. I shudder when I think of it. Paul, tell me, who are all these people? She knew hardly one of the acquaintances. Some sixty people lost among the forty members of the family. This was the first time that she had gone out again at The Hague, and although many of the guests had asked to be introduced to her, she had not talked much, had forgotten the names at once. Paul, greatly in his element, explained to her where the people had come from, to what set they belonged, people who did not know, or never saw one another, or else did not bow, although they knew one another brought together at this wedding party because one family knew the Van Nagels and the other the Van Ravens. It was doubtless because of these foreign elements that the party was so stiff, that the conversation was constantly flagging, that the people who did not dance wandered aimlessly around, watching the dancers with a look of resigned martyrdom. Emilice moved about among them, white, diaphanous and very charming, with Van Raven at her heels, she exchanged a word with everyone. Van Nagel and Bertha were also quietly busy, as host and hostess, as society people who are used to that sort of thing, and who go through it mechanically, really thinking of what they will have to do next day. The members of the family kept on popping up among the mere acquaintances, and, in the midst of them all, the most fidgety was Doreen. She was very fussy as usual, worked herself into a fever collecting things for the cotillion, did not dance, but just trotted about. Paul christened her the camel. It was strange, perhaps, but Constance felt happy and contented at Paul's side. She had seen nothing of the sort for years, and she felt a certain peace and satisfaction at being in the midst of her own relations. Tears were constantly coming to her eyes, She did not know why. At the first Sunday evenings at Mamma's, she had not felt this family affection so intensely, perhaps because she was still too timid. Oh, how had she ever managed to live through those fourteen lonely years at Brussels? For years she had felt the delight of love, sympathy and friendship only for her child, and now she felt it for all of them. Through her there passed once more that feeling which was so strong in Mamma, an inward glow which she had not known for years, a good, comfortable feeling that she could now grow old, that henceforth she could devote herself to her child in the familiar atmosphere of home and domesticity, and she did not notice, did not suspect, that the family and the acquaintances were stealthily examining her, judging her, and condemning her. "'She's a fast woman,' said Mrs. Van Raven, Emily's future mother-in-law, to Mrs. Frieser Stein. "'It's a great trial for the Van Nagels to have this sister turning up from Brussels. "'After fourteen years!' 
said the old lady sharply, eager for news, for scandal. After fourteen years, to give occasion for rooting up all these old memories. And Mrs. Friesestein was delighted that Constance had done so. She killed her father. I knew de Staffeler. No one ever had a word to say against him. During all those years, her husband's people refused to know her. I hear that she's intriguing like anything to go down to them now. The child is not van der Velkers. No, his father was an Italian. She's really a most improper person. Marie is her mother, after all. One can't blame her. But the family ought to have stopped her from coming to The Hague. That's what I think, mevrouw. Yes, so do I. She's living on her husband's people. Well, the Van Loers all got something from the father, you know. It wasn't much. No, not much. It's a very unhappy marriage. Yes, and the boy is shockingly brought up. They let him do as he likes. Just think, mevrouw, the boy took the house for them. You don't mean it. Yes, really. What a state of affairs. It's all so immoral. What did she come to The Hague for? She was bored in Brussels, and she wants to thrust herself forward here, at court. So I heard. Yes, that's so. Old connections, you see. The Van Nagels and so on. She wants to go to court. Oh, but the Van Nagels will take good care that she doesn't. At least, they will if they're wise. What's an example for the girls that aren't of theirs? You know, the Staffeler found her in van der Velke's arms. The two old ladies whispered, No. Yes, really. He's a low fellow, too. Yes, there's a woman in Brussels. If only they had stayed there. How very select Aunt Constance is tonight, said Florcher to Dykerhoff. She's been sitting with Paul the whole evening, he answered. Of course, no one is good enough for her. No, when you've been the wife of a diplomatist. And afterwards, Baroness van der Velke. What did they come to the Hague for, exactly? Mamma thinks because she is afraid that when Grandmamma, who doesn't look far ahead, dies... Well, what then? Well, that she won't get her full rights. Oh, nonsense. I tell you, she doesn't trust us. But surely there's a will, and in any case, the law. Yes, but she doesn't know that by Dutch law all the children share and share alike. And, to make sure of what she's to get, she wants to be on the spot when Grandmamma dies. They owe a heap of money. And does he do nothing for a living? No, he used to sell wine at Brussels. Nice people, those relations of yours, though they are barons and diplomatists. Oh, we don't look upon them as relations. Mamma said so distinctly. And so, said Mr. Van Raven to Van Nachel and Van Satsuma, you think they came to live here merely because they were feeling very lonely in Brussels? But the family were against it. I myself discussed with Mamma van Loer whether it would be better to advise them not to. And? 
Well, Mamma is the mother, you see. When all is said, Constance is her daughter. We all of us gave way. And then, it is so very long ago that... I must say, said Mr. Van Raven, emphasising his words, that it was very generous of you all. Yes, Van Nagel took a very generous view of the case, said Van Satsuma, who looked up greatly to his brother-in-law, a minister, an excellency, flattering him, keeping on friendly terms with him. And we all did, all of us, as Van Nagel thought right. Still, one never knows, said Mr. Van Raven thoughtfully. But forgive me, she is your sister-in-law, and it is very generous, most generous of you. Two aunts of Adeline stopped the fair-haired little mother. Adeline, cha. Yes, auntie. That new sister of yours. Do you like her? Is she nice? Yes, auntie. Really very nice. But she's been an improper woman. Oh, auntie. Yes, yes, my girl. We know all about it. You be careful. But don't become hand in glove too quickly. You're so thoughtless, Adelincha. Inherit is so good-natured. Take care, both of you. A woman like that can do him harm in his career. Oh, come, auntie, if the Van Dargels receive them. Yes, but the Van Dargels disapprove of them strongly. Still, she's their sister. Everybody's talking about them. People say, what? That Constance is not. Well, that she's not her father's child. But, auntie, that's a frightful thing to say. "'because the Van Loers were always so respectable. "'She can't. "'No, she can't be a daughter of... "'of old Van Loers. "'I say, auntie, this is scurrilous. "'Adelincha. "'Auntie, I won't listen to another word.' "'Cousins of the Van Satsumas, "'talking with the Eichstras, "'relations of Cato's. "'Poor dear Adolphine. "'She's furious.' What art? Oh, all sorts of things. First, because the Van Nagels gave a party at which the whole family were ignored. Oh, well, that certainly was rather. Then, because Adolphine has no room in her house to give a party at which she could ignore the family in her turn. And because of the seats which she was given at dinner this evening. And because of Emilicia's two witnesses, her uncle Van Nagel, the Queen's commissary in Overijssel, and Carol van Loer, whereas she says that van Satsuma is older than Carol, and therefore... And also because of Emilicia's frock, because that flimsy white thing came from Brussels, and cost three hundred francs. What a heap van Nagel must be spending on the wedding! No, it's Bertha, it's the van Loes who always throw money about. Exactly. That's what I say. Adolphine does the same thing, just as though she could afford it. That's because all of those Van Loers are eaten up with pride and conceit. Yes, since the father became Governor-General, they've always acted like megalomaniacs. The old lady is a regular peacock. And Bertha with her smart acquaintances. And then that Mrs. Van der Velke, She's got a nice past to look back upon, and she behaves as though she were the queen. They're quite an ordinary family, the Van Loers.
Yes, they're nobodies. Their grandfather was a grocer. No. Yes, I assure you. And that's Mad Ernst, who's always studying the family papers to discover if they are not of noble descent. Oh, he's mad, if you like. In fact, they're all a little bit mad. Yes, there's a strain of it in all of them. A strain? Something more than a strain, I call it. And it's continued in the Van Nagels. Adolphine's the best of the lot. She's a megalomaniac, though, for all that. I say, this Mrs. Van der Velke, what does she come here for? Well, she thinks the whole thing has blown over. It was fifteen years ago, you see, and she's married to Van der Velke. Not according to Dutch law. No, but she can get married again. Yes, but they are not. They are not married according to Dutch law. Well, in that case, I don't look upon them as married at all. Not according to Dutch. No, but yes. No, yes. The party ended and the guests departed. End of chapter 15